0: Penn State Conversations is a podcast produced by the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications. Episode topics range from the people, programs, and events that shape the Belisario College to discussing key aspects of life in the professional world for young and upcoming communications alumni. Please enjoy this episode of Penn State Conversations. Welcome back to this episode of Penn State Conversations, and great to be joined. By the Padres beat writer for MLB.com, proud Penn State graduate. What was it, 2011, AJ?
1: 2011. Yep. Wow, AJ Casavell.
0: AJ, great to see you, man.
1: Yeah, good to see you too. It's uh, it's been a while, but I'm happy to uh, happy to be talking with another Penn Stater.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Hey, the the, the alumni association I know is thriving out in the LA area. I'm sure it extends out into uh, into San
1: Diego. Yeah, f- a funny story. If I I'm gonna yeah, diverge a little bit, but the alumni like that's actually how I met my wife watching a Penn state game at the local Penn state bar. And long story short, she, uh, I, we both, we grew up 30 minutes apart, both went to Penn state, didn't meet each other until we both were in San Diego watching Penn state games. So it, uh, we're everywhere. and That includes San Diego.
0: <laughs> so you, she is Jersey bred as
1: well. No, she is Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm Jersey, but oh, okay. we're still oh, about right. 30 You're minutes apart girl. when we, when yeah. we go back home for the holidays. Yeah. 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 Gotcha.
0: Um, well, and that you couldn't script a better way to, uh, to meet you know, a fellow Penn Stater, uh, game together, uh, tell me, you know, I was down at mid spring training, uh, as part of my work back in February. And the joke was some people thought I went too early and then the, obviously everything got, um, uh, thrown, thrown for a loop. Uh, what was it like for you? I assume you were in Arizona covering the Padres, uh, when, things shut down and how did you adapt?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was strange to say the least. It was, uh, I mean, for most of it, it it started like a normal spring training. It started like any other spring training. I get there in the middle of February, I usually get a weekend off. So I had just taken my weekend off and I had just gotten back out to Arizona that week in early March when you kind of started to realize that, that this, this thing was, was real and it was a real threat. And it was something that was going to impact everyone's lives. And so, um, it kind of hit that day. uh, I mean, everyone had kind of started taking the precautions, but it hit that day that, that the NBA shut down and the, the, the following day was when baseball shut down, but it was at that point, everyone kind of realized things aren't going to be normal for the next few months. And so I basically packed up all my stuff in Arizona and, and drove home and, I mean, we didn't really know what was going to happen, and we honestly didn't really know what was going to happen for the next couple months in there. So yet, so I, I still found different things to write about, different things to talk about, most of it pertaining to the Padres' history or pertaining to maybe some, some prospects or some, what the future might look like when we got back to a little bit of normalcy. But there wasn't a whole lot new because no one knew what, was, what the next step was going to be. And so it, it essentially, in the span of about three weeks transformed from a normal spring training which is which has its own rhythms it has uh early mornings and afternoon games and and clubhouse access with players and managers and normal notebook stories and and breakdowns of the games and all of a sudden it kind of started shifting and it happened really fast and all of a sudden in the middle of March I found myself back in San Diego which I am I am never in San Diego for the middle of March
0: what was the expectation from mlb.com if there was any as to like are you on an off-season schedule where it's as news comes in or are you uh on the deadline get this amount of of content out uh because obviously uh it was uncharted territory
1: yeah so it was flexible because it was uncharted territory no one had obviously ever covered baseball through a pandemic before but we uh there, there was a, there was a, I guess, an expectation for a level of content that we would write or come up with, uh, maybe each week, and it was, it was a, it was a somewhat low bar because I don't think the nation's interests were necessarily in baseball at the time. They were, I mean, there were other bigger fish to fry, and so all uh, we tried to kind of come up with some fun, creative ideas, and, and, and maybe. Do two of them a week, and just two things that that you think someone who would probably want just just want a break or a distraction from everything that's going on with like something simple. Like one of the things we did was I I uh, called up uh, the the Padres radio broadcaster Jesse Agler, and we did a we did a draft of the all time Padres teams, um, and we each picked a starting lineup and a starting pitcher and and we gave our reasoning why and we came up with it and put it out in in a in a story form and put it on the internet and say hey we did a draft of these guys what do you think whose team would win and that's just some little fun thing to i think maybe take people's minds off it and it, so it was i mean i think like a lot of people it was uh it was it was a time where we didn't really know what what the next steps were going to be, but you kind of tried to make do with what you had. And uh, for, for me at least it was obviously a very different April and May than I'm ever used to. And, and we, we still came up with things. I think that were interesting enough while kind of understanding the, the tenor of the situation, which was, I mean, people, baseball's not at the forefront right now. And that when a, we're not even playing games and B there's much more important things going on. So that's kind of the tack that I think we took.
0: It's a good point, especially in those first few months as the pandemic's gone on, obviously sports have come back and the news cycle's been different, but really those first couple of months were almost exclusively um, health-related. Tell me, uh, once it appeared or there was an agreement that baseball and now we're fast forwarding to July and the uh, summer camp, um, how were you able to gear up for that without obviously the natural in-person interactions and, and clubhouse access?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely strange, and I, I, I'd I like to say I did as good a job as I normally would have, but you, you just – in in all honesty, you can't because you're not having the same interactions you do with players and with team personnel, and, and you can do as much as you can over the phone and over Zoom, but it's still not as, as personalized as it normally would have been. That being said, I mean, once baseball geared up to return, there was an appetite for – there was an appetite for it because I, I think people – People wanted to see baseball. People wanted something that could uh, maybe bring them joy in a time where there wasn't a whole lot of it. And so uh, the Padres in particular were an exciting team for this city. And I think a lot of people gravitated to them when, and I mean, Padres are obviously in a one, it's a one sport city where the Padres are the team. And so a lot of people kind of out here gravitated toward them and wanted to know what was going on with them. uh, Maybe as, maybe as their distraction, maybe as something that, that was, uh, just just brought them a little happiness and so when the summer camp started we basically had we we had daily zoom sessions with the manager and some of the players um and you tried to cover it as normal as you would have or at least uh bring the stories out that and there were plenty of storylines for the padres They they have a very exciting young team that was kind of on the on the precipice of breaking through and ultimately they did um and so you just i just really wanted to kind of tell the story of the team as best I could while also, I mean, also staying safe myself. I mean, the, the press box had different guidelines. Uh, We had some access to workouts, but I, I, in all honesty, like didn't go to all of them. I don't went to the ones that I had to because I mean, there's no reason to put yourself at, at somewhat needless risk. And so it was, it was strange. Um, But as with anything in my job, you make do with what you get and you try and cover the team as best you can. And that's what, that's what I, that's what I tried to do.
0: And so you were in the ballpark for home games.
1: Yeah, I was at all the home games this season. Um, and then I covered all the road games from basically from home, from right here where I'm sitting right now, I it, which, which was strange. Cause usually I'll go on the team, go on the road with the team. Um, and it was a different kind of dynamic in terms of covering the game. Cause you don't, you don't get every aspect that you would get if you're on the road, you don't see some of the things you don't necessarily feel all the energy when you're, sitting in your home office. Uh, That being said, like I just said, you'd make do with what you have and um, being there in the home ballpark was, was, it was extremely strange at first, extremely sad at the same time, because the Padres had a really fun team that the city would have embraced and did embrace. And also extremely memorable. Like this is not a thing that hopefully knock on wood, hopefully this is not a thing we'll see for very long after this, and never again. Um, But seeing games played in empty stadiums that were high stakes, major league baseball. I also covered the American league championship series because it took place Mm -hmm. in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was an incredible, incredible series. The Rays won the first three, the Astros won the next three, went to game seven. And it's just this, this high stakes, really, really exciting baseball being played in front of no fans, but being played in front of dugouts full of, men who really want to win and who are really excited so it was just it it was at the end of the day it was just unique and hopefully it stays as unique as possible um but yeah it was it was not something i will not something i hope happens in the future but it's something that i hope we can move past as fast as possible get ballparks filled as fast as possible but i mean it sticks in the memory it's something that that i'll that i'll not soon not gonna forget soon
0: well and it it you think of as, as a journalist or as a sports journalist, you know, usually you have access that other people don't have in the clubhouse. And the idea is to bring those stories to the fans. And here it's, it's like the, the goalposts are adjusted a little bit, but it's the same concept in that now you have access to being at a game that no one else can be at. And so there's heightened responsibility that comes with that too, I imagine.
1: Yeah. I think that was, um, at least in the early stages of it, because in the early stages of it, that was the story. I mean, what the pa- the Padres started off. I don't know what they were. They were maybe like, they started off like eight and three or something. They were pretty good early, but no one, that wasn't what really mattered. What really mattered was that the Padres were playing this unprecedented season in an empty stadium. And so you almost, you almost try and put that into context as much as possible while you're covering this team, while also still covering what the team is doing. And so, um, yeah, there's little things that happened. And, and I think when, um, when the Padres clinched the playoffs, they, they had the second best record in the national league and, and they clinched the playoffs. I want to say with like eight or nine days to go, um, they, uh, they all kind of came storming out of the dugout, held up a big 10 flag for the 10th man, the fans that weren't there and, and they presented it out in front of the balconies in the outfield where the fan, the fans who could see it could see them, um and uh i mean those fans on the balconies, uh,
0: yeah apartment buildings
1: yeah from apartment buildings that that couldn't look over on a pickle park those fans were banging pots and pans and there's like all sorts of these little details and and even within the game there's all sorts of little details that you you try and bring because you're there and other people don't get to be there so in some ways it's it's uh you get to be a little bit more of the voice of people because they're not they're not they don't get the chance to be there this year. So it was, uh, yeah, like you said, that was, there was an added responsibility to kind of tell the story of what was happening this year because it was such a strange year.
0: Tell me, and you, obviously a lot of star players on the Padres, Machado, Tatis, um, Hosmer, um, watching the local New York post game shows. I always thought the zoom interviews were interesting and in that, There was distance, obviously, and you can't pick up on body language and things that you normally would being right next to them. At the same time, there was almost this very nice, not that there's a acrimonious relationship, but very respectful, you know, where the reporter at the end says, you know, thank you. And the player says, you're welcome. It was just, maybe it's just me, little quirks that tell tell me how the interview process was different uh, via Zoom.
1: Yeah, I think that's the humanity of it a little bit. I think everyone, I I got that from a lot of the people we work with this season um our jobs were made significantly more difficult because of the pandemic and that's not a complaint that's just a reality of the situation we didn't get the access we normally got and so i think a lot of the players and the managers and whoever we talked to understood that and were and, and were willing to give a little bit more of their time because i mean that's it's just it it, it it's kind of basic decency and so I, I i definitely got that what i will say is that what i mean this, the zoom setting was extremely tough to, to extract any amount of useful information to turn into a story. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of people who are in a baseball clubhouse daily looking for stories or looking for in- interesting insight will understand that, that, that usually comes off camera, off scripts when you're just kind of chatting and asking basic, un- basic nuanced questions, even off the record. And you learn a lot of information that way. And this year, literally every well almost every i had there's there's obviously a few phone conversations that i have that that aren't on the aren't on zooms but for the most part every conversation we have is recorded from start to finish and everyone who's talking is completely fully aware of that and so you maybe don't get all those little details that you would have gotten otherwise so uh, i i would not uh, in the future prefer to go through this format again but i think the people who are involved in it on both sides made it a smoother process than it otherwise could have been
0: yeah you can't work the clubhouse develop those relationships and there's that old saying uh, i think it was bill madden you know from the daily news that said you know if you write a column criticizing a player you got to show up at the batting cage the next day just so you're there and if they want to come up to you they can obviously um none of that um tell me zooming out in terms of your career you've been at mlb.com
1: what is it 10 years now yeah this was my 10th season there yeah and it's my fifth as padres beat reporter
0: Right, and so have you been anywhere else, or was this has this been your professional uh, uh, life spent at at dot com?
1: Yeah, this is it. I, I literally the day after I graduated from Penn State in 2011, I hopped in a car and started driving across the country. I spent my first season in Los Angeles. I was interning for our Dodgers beat reporter uh, in LA, so I spent year one in Los Angeles, and then I moved down to San Diego because I have some family down here. I hadn't yet secured a full-time job at MLB.com, but then starting in 2012, uh, I got that job. And what, what it entailed at the, at that time was I would be working overnight shifts, uh, Mm -hmm. twice a week. And as long as I would, would do those overnight shifts, which entailed editing and producing and putting, posting content on the site and really just being on in case something important happened in baseball. I was the, the contact person from 11 PM to 7 AM, uh, so that, that, the way that started, I, I, could have, I could do that from anywhere. It was a work from home gig two days a week. And then the other three days a week, they wanted me in a city with a ballpark, in a city with a place to go uh, and help cover games or whatever. And so I, all my stuff was in San Diego. And I said, can I stay here? We don't have a backup here. And that's, it. That, that's how that shook out. And ultimately, I, I progressed toward being the beat reporter.
0: Wow. Good, good timing and good location and <laughs> not a bad place to live. Um, and nice now that the team is, is, is doing well. Um, what is it, what was it like once you became the beat reporter? How did, how yeah. did you sort of develop your, your work structure?
1: Yeah. So I, I became a reporter in 2016. Uh, so I spent, I think three, three years doing the overnights and another year, Um, as a backup as just national reporter before I got into um, before I got the Padres beat in the spring of 2016 and that was a good time for me to start because the Padres had just changed their manager at the time they had just uh, they had they completely overhauled their roster that season so they made a bunch of trades and what I what I found was that like none of those guys knew how long I had how long I had been there because I was there before them (laughs) I was there before they were all there so it it, I almost gained a, a small measure of of maybe added respect that I didn't deserve at the time. But um, I, it was. I mean, it's it's been a it, it had been a dream of mine to be a baseball re- beat reporter. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I was obviously excited, and I tackled the team head on. But the team was really really bad in 2016, and they were really bad again in 2017, and not not a whole lot better in 18 and 19. Um, and so you just kind of. I, you, you try and you try and cover the interesting stories and the interesting people and the things that'll matter in the, in the long term. And so maybe the games matter a little less and the people and the prospects. And as it turned out, a lot of the trades that they made in 2016 produced a lot of the players who are, who have now made this team good. So I, when they were bad, it was, it was almost with a purpose that, that ended up helping them out. And so um, it's been cool kind of chronicling the way it's all, the way, it, the way it turned around, because I almost feel like I was there. The, the Padres went for it in 2015. They, tra- they, they tried to be pretty good. They, they traded for some veterans, and it didn't work out. And so I got the beat in 2016, but I had been around that 2015 and the 2014 teams. Um, mm-hmm. But I almost feel like I, I hopped on the beat as they were beginning the transition, and now here we are where they're a playoff team, uh, they feel like they'll be, I mean, the Dodgers are the team to beat. The Dodgers are incredible, but the Padres feel like they'll be competitive for a long time. And this is maybe the fruits of their labor. So I've gotten to kind of chronicle the whole turnaround.
0: And tell me heading into the offseason, or obviously being in it, but heading towards what would normally be a trip to whatever site the winter meetings are at now that's virtual. And so people don't realize they think of the winter meetings as just trades and that sort of thing, but so much of it is, the, the structured meetings are in person and then people are chatting in hotel rooms and that sort of thing in terms of deals being consummated. How do you cover the off season without those central events, GM meetings, winter meetings?
1: Yeah, it's tougher. I mean, I, I really like the winter meetings for exactly that reason you get to catch up. I think that's the last place I saw you. Yeah. The winter meetings. Yeah. Um, and so it, you get to see people who you don't normally see and you get to catch up and you get to learn new things. Um, and then, Maybe you get to talk to someone with the Padres who has some in- interesting insight to give you. So it's definitely a little tougher. Uh, the answer to your question is I-, I don't really know. We're kind of feeling it out as we go uh, because this offseason is so different. Uh, you just cover what happens and you cover the news and where we've, we've also done a few, uh, a few other interesting, like more featurey type stories. Uh, the, the best, individual pitching seasons in franchise history, the best individual hitting seasons, just just something to kind of fill the gap before. I think this offseason, because there's so much uncertainty going into next off season or next season uh, might develop at a little bit of a slower pace. You might see things pick up probably in January and February. And so we're feeling it all out and feeling what kind of the public has an appetite for and The public always has an appetite for trade rumors and hot stove news. Uh, but we don't have that. Like we usually have it right now. And so you just cover it the best way you can
0: yeah it's tough it's tough for sure How has uh, social media and twitter changed the way you do your job in terms of how do you determine what you're tweeting about versus what you might put in an article or what you're promoting in a tweet to get to that article
1: yeah even that's changed itself within itself in the last few years um i'm of the opinion that twitter can be a terrible terrible place uh that being said i think it's also it also can be a place for good and a place for you really kind of just need to tune out the people who don't have anything worthwhile to say, but, but take some criticism that you, you can, you can stomach, uh, to heart because I mean, I can always be doing my job a little better. And so, um, I think Twitter is a fun way to interact with fans who care and to take the pulse of a fan base and to maybe understand what they, what fans are craving, what kind of insight, what kind of information uh, they're looking for, and so I, I don't interact a whole lot on Twitter, but when I do, I, I kind of try and do it with a purpose. And you can also, I think, on social media, maybe have a little bit more of a personality than I can in in some of my some of my stories. Now, I think MLB.com does a great job of interjecting personality in in our writing, but. In some stuff, you just can't. In some breaking news stories, there's no personality to be included there. You write what happened, and you write why it happened, and that's that. Um, Twitter maybe allows you a little bit more freedom to kind of to answer some questions with with a touch of personality. And so, if you can block out the people who have nothing worthwhile to say and who are who are there expressly to to tell you you're wrong, and you can take some real. Good, well-founded, well-meaning criticism, and you can also interact with fans who love the Padres and who care deeply about the team and about the work that I'm doing. Then I think it can be a very positive thing, and that's kind of the way I view it.
0: Yeah, I just think in terms of the realm, you know, when I start the day, I'm going to look at Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passan and those sorts of information-breaking news type people. I wonder if when you have a scoop or when you're even if it's something that the team has put out, are you going to Twitter first or are you? going to the website
1: first yeah so that's an interesting topic that i think even at mlb.com we've changed uh course on a few times if it's if it's breaking news if i have a if i have a scoop that's extremely relevant that maybe one of my competitors i'm fairly certain will will also get it soon i want to be first with it and so i go i i tweet about it but if it's if it's kind of maybe a more i don't want to say a more mundane scoop but if it's it's a if it's something that's that's maybe better suited to a story like like if if the Padres are calling up their top prospect, that's news I want to get out there right away. So I'll tweet about it, then I'll write my story about it, then I'll tweet my story about it. If um if say Fernando Tatis Jr. is changing his swing because he had a conversation with his dad, well that's that's an interesting story that I think uh I it would probably be worthwhile to write about and get it up on on MLB.com and then tweet it out with the link so that it's so that we can drive people to come to MLB.com, because ultimately, that's a huge part of my job is, is, it's not just writing the fun and interesting things, but it's also making them appealing enough that people want to click on the fun and interesting things.
0: Yeah, and that's where I think that Twitter can be the most valuable in terms of using Ken as an example, again, and The Athletic, that he does a nice job of promoting other stories. And so I might not be uh, following closely the Rockies beat reporter. But if he's putting it out there and I say, geez, that's interesting. Uh, and then I go read it, you know, same concept with MLB.com, you know, it, it drives the traffic.
1: Um, yeah. So- yeah. And we do it. I think like that's one of the really cool parts about working at MLB.com is we have 30 different writers in 30 cities and then a few national writers too. And they're all doing, I think really great work. And I get the chance to, to work alongside them. Sometimes we collaborate on ideas and it's, it's a really fun, it's, it's really fun to kind of have that, even though I'm almost alone as a MLB.com reporter in San Diego, it's, there's, there's a fun base of people and friends to work with.
0: Do you ever do hits like MLB network or, you know, on the the radio flagship as well, or, uh, or Fox sports San Diego?
1: Yeah. So I do MLB network quite a bit Um, this year, more than, more than I ever have because the Padres have, ah, even in a shortened season, I think I did it more. I think I was on MLB Network more than I ever have been because the Padres were exciting and interesting. And I don't know if people wanted to talk about the 2017 Padres. There wasn't a whole lot to say. So uh, this year, I was probably on MLB Network more than I've been. Uh, the Mighty 1090, which is the Padres, um, or excuse me, 973, the Fan, which is the Padres' flagship. Um, I go on with them quite a bit. 1090 used to be their flagship. Um, I go on with 973 the fan quite a lot. Uh, they do a um, three different shows throughout the day that I try and get on with each of them once a week during the season, but this season was this season was just so different. It was hard to kind of maintain all that. Um, and so uh, yeah, I do I try and do as much as possible to a I think engage people with this team and with my with my and B with my work so that they can potentially if, if they want some Padres insight or some Padres information, you can go to, to MLB.com and they, they, so that they can kind of know me as that guy.
0: Do you like doing TV?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, it's, it's definitely like an acquired, acquired skill uh, because I'm, I'm just so used to, and, and radio actually probably came a little bit easier, but I'm just so used to having a, a b- delete button or, or time to time to, Yep. take what I'm writing and adjust it and change it and edit for grammar and edit for content and everything I do I write and then I reread and then I reread and then I, and then I edit it again when I posted it when I put it in a, in a in a file and so it's 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 strange a little bit for me with someone with my background to have uh, to be on camera for three minutes and that's it and that's done but it's it's I think it's once I've, once I kind of did it a few times, it, it became fun. You just got to know what to prepare for and what to be ready for.
0: Yeah. People go either way on it from a print standpoint. You know, I think either obviously you're giving up control and it's like, we're going to hit on these, you know, five topics in three minutes. Um, but obviously there's, you know, a great deal of exposure and it's all sort of linked nowadays. And, and I'm sure that com is happy with, with the synergy.
1: Yeah, and and that's that's the other part of it is that working for MLB.com and MLB Network is almost under the same umbrella, and so they, I mean, Network every now and then will do a pretty good job of promoting our our stuff if we write something interesting or exciting, um, and it's I mean really working for working for MLB.com and working for MLB, I think a big part of my job is is it's not just necessarily reporting on the Padres, it's it's growing baseball it's making like it's reporting the things that'll make make it the sport because i mean i grew up loving the sport i I mean we both we both love baseball Mm -hmm. uh i think there's a lot to love there and i think there's a lot to explain to people who maybe don't love it on the level that we do yet but you can you can explain that and you can do that in a number of different ways whether it's tv or whether it's print or whether it's on twitter or whatever it may be
0: at the collegians i think you were a collegian guy were you doing what we were doing i assume multiple sports there
1: yeah. And funny enough, I never, baseball was never one of them. I, I actually interned for the Altoona mirror um, covering the Altoona curve. Right. So that was my baseball experience pre um, pre MLB.com. But um, I never covered baseball at the collegian. Strangely enough. Uh, I think I would have one year, but I covered, I ended up covering the football team for that spring 2009. So I um, yeah, I covered football men's and women's basketball men's soccer men's gymnastics uh women's volleyball and loved it all but strangely enough never got around to baseball
0: yeah and obviously a great facility with uh lebrano park but uh yeah and i saw the curves ballpark last year which is real nice uh as well um well aj of course wishing you only continued success uh and always excited to to read your work and and follow along and uh especially with the resurgent Padres. And thanks again for the time.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a lot of fun catching up.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Penn State Conversations. For more information about the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications, including the latest news and upcoming events, visit bellisario.psu.edu or find us on social media at PSU Belisario on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.